Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the rise of COVID-19 variants in the U.S., to discuss this are IDSA members, Dr. Catherine Edwards of Vanderbilt University and Dr. Morella Salvatore with Wild Cornell Medicine. Thank you both for being with me. We know that multiple variants of the virus that cause COVID-19 have been documented here in the U.S., including the U.K. and South African variant. Dr. Salvatore, can you talk to me about the current variants and what we know about them? First of all, I think we should say what is a variant compared to a strain or a different virus. So a variant is a virus that has some modification compared to um, the original, we call originally with quotation mark virus, but they're not, those differences are not so big that make it like it's another virus as immunologic, different immunologic characteristic altogether or very well-defined clinical characteristics. So we still have the same virus that has some modification compared to the first variant that we saw. We keep seeing this variant, worried about the variant. What is What those are? Those are viruses that have modified their genome to make it more transmissible or more able to infect. And those modifications are, in a way, also part of the evolution, part of changes that can be random. But then um, maybe some of those changes that uh, the virus makes while it replicates its genome, uh, they give to the virus some what we call fitness advantages. And so they keep can keep being propagated. But we say the coronavirus evolves. It makes usually one of those two small mutations per month. Every time it replicates is a genome to replicate, in fact, other cells. However, the first time that in the UK were sequencing and they saw um, this UK variant, this new virus had a lot of those mutations. And most importantly, they had some mutation that were in uh, what is this in the spike protein. And those mutations in the spike protein are important because uh, clearly the spike is the receptor of the virus, but also the target of our vaccine. And uh, this virus, in a way, because of those mutations, became prevalent in the UK and now uh, is spread all over in many areas in Europe and also in the the US. And CDC uh, predicts that since this virus spreads faster, uh, will become prevalent in the US by the end of the spring, possibly. Of course, if there are no other interventions that will work in stopping it. Similar to this variant, there are some other viruses that were described that are more relevant for us. One in South Africa that is similar to the UK variant, however, has two more mutations in the spike protein and specifically in this receptor binding protein of the spike protein that is the most important area. And so make a little bit more difficult to inactivate. And the third variant that has been described that is a a variant of concern is in South America is the Brazilian variant. Unfortunately, there are so many ways to call those variants. They're called, you know, UK, Brazilian, and South African variant, but 
they can also be called 501 variant one, 501 Y variant two and P1. So, you know, it's always hard to understand, but I think I am going to use the country of origin. So that it's easier for um, uh, everybody to understand. And I think I stop here and give Dr. Edwards the opportunity to intervene. Just as, as Dr. Salvatore said, the virus evolves or changes to make it more fit to infect. And, and so that's actually what's happening. And, and I think one of the things that's kind of important to remember is very on or early on in the outbreak, we, we saw a variant that came from Europe that came through New York. And, and so the virus has been evolving all of the time. It's not just recently that it has been evolving. But the evolution, particularly in the spike protein, then is relevant because we want to make sure that the vaccines are directed to the new variants. We want to make sure that the monoclonal antibodies that are being made that are protective and and preventive against infection and and helpful therapeutic are directed to the new variants. And then also um, making sure that, that our diagnostic tests pick up these variants. So I think it's important to realize that that the variants are have a role that they have evolved because they're trying to become more fit and better able to spread. And they do have implications in terms of, of diagnosis, treatment, and the vaccine. It's also important to realize that these, these probably have been doing this all along. And, and uh, I think more recently, we're, particularly in the U.S., we're putting more funding into looking at these variants and looking at more of the viruses that have been isolated. So I think that the variation will be likely better characterized and more extensively characterized. And that, again, has been a little bit of a function of, of you know, the public health labs. I know that, for instance, New York Public Health Lab has um, you know has the potential to do these sequencing, but it's pretty labor intensive to actually figure out what what uh, actually nucleotide in each of the whole viruses, both in the spike and and in the whole virus. So so this is evolving, but I think you'll hear more about variations recently because there's going to be more attention directed to this. Regarding this evolution, I think that at the beginning there was also. A little bit the idea that since uh, um, coronavirus have an enzyme that can a little bit correct when it makes mistake in replication, he thought that uh, you know the fact that we have the coronavirus that give the common cold that come back every year was due to uh, uh, immunity that decreased the wane during the early during infection. But a recent study, actually, with the garden coronavirus, with the coronavirus, the regular coronavirus that circulate, has shown that the, the fact that we keep getting those infections is also due to an evolution of the virus. So uh, there is an evolution also in the other coronavirus. I think uh, this was an element that was underappreciated uh, in addition to the you know, lack of attention and funding that was devoted to the sequencing in this country. Thank you, doctors, for your insights and for walking us through that. Dr. Salvatore, I'm going to stick with you. What are some of the potential consequences of emerging variants? We really need to think a little bit how the variant or why the variant happens. And so we said it's a little bit of an evolution. And then when we see that those variants always happen to the same 
position, for example, the 501 position of the spike protein, the fact that it's in, in all the three variants and also in the mouse adapted strain really make you think, think that this convergence evolution uh, give an advantage to the virus. Consequences, of course, are the fact that our uh, vaccine might not be effective and in theory also the antiviral cannot be effective, although those are uh, with a con more conserved protein and the monoclonal antibody might not be effective. And the danger is really, uh, not if they are not effective at all, but if they are effective a little bit, because many of those variants actually develop when there is a partial immunity. One of the hypotheses is this variant uh, where happened during the infection of hosts that were immunocompromised. So where the immune system doesn't allow the full block of the viral replication, but just a partial block. So the virus has still replicates enough to try to circumvent the immunity, uh, the partial immunity of the host. And this is dangerous because it can happen only in the immunocompromised host, but in a way also if we have a vaccine that is um, not enough effective or if a monoclonal antibody, we see now that are given in a cocktail because if you give one single antibody and then the virus will try to circumvent, we can get resistance to some of those um, antibodies. This is not a new concept. We see this you know, with other viruses. We see with antibiotic resistance. So you give a therapeutic and the virus or the bacteria, if you keep replicating, will try to circumvent the block and win the battle with the host. Thank you, Dr. Salvatore. Dr. Edwards, what type of surveillance or sequencing do we need to better understand these mutations? Well, the sequencing is being done both for the entire virus to look at differences in sequence in other proteins besides the spike protein. And obviously, that will take more effort because it's the entire viral genome. Also, there is more targeted sequencing that is focusing on just the spike protein, which is just a portion of the virus. So both of those are being looked at. And it's likely that as time goes on, there will be modifications that might make it easier to look for some of these variations so that that just a small portion of the sequence might be targeted. And then, you know, PCR could be done to that little small portion to see whether that particular variant is actually being recognized. In the very nice summary on the CDC website, I think it kind of goes over what they're doing. The CDC is asking a number of public health labs that, that do not have the ability to actually sequence the virus per se in their labs to send them to the CDC. A number of the surveillance systems that the CDC has established, mostly for influenza, are also now sending uh, corona or SARS-CoV-2 viruses to the CDC that are being detected in those networks. In addition, there are several academic centers that are sending and also sequencing the viruses, both the entire virus and the S protein. And also, interestingly enough, the commercial laboratories that are, are doing a lot of viral detection in the screening programs are also going to be sending the, um, the sequences or the viruses so they can be sequenced at the CDC. The other thing that is happening is that, that it appears that there is now more 
funding that's being directed both to this at the CDC, but also at the state laboratories in those large states that have very sophisticated laboratories to pay for this as well. So I think it's fair to say that there will be greater effort with a a larger span of of what's going on and and there will be assessment for what's happening, um, you know, throughout the country. And I think, as you know, you know, from just the initial reports, the South African variant was found, you know, in in South Carolina and people who've not traveled and and, uh, the Brazilian variant in Minnesota. And, And so I think that those kinds of assessments will allow us to kind of see what's happening all over the country. And by soliciting different forms or different places where the viruses are being detected, both in the entire genome and in the S protein per se. So I think that this effort is certainly intensifying and also being much more uh, diverse in, in terms of what's being looked at nationally and internationally. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to COVID19LearningNetwork.org. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. I'd like to stay with you and ask you about the current COVID-19 vaccines and will they work against these variants? Well, I think that's the $64,000 question. That's a really hard question. And we have the press releases from the Johnson & Johnson Janssen study, which suggests that the vaccines perhaps work less for mild to moderate disease, less well in, in South Africa than in the U.S. And also, you know, some, some evidence from AstraZeneca that there may be slight differences. But one of the problems that that we've had to cope with, maybe it's, it's not a problem, is there's so much information that's coming out and it's coming out out so fast that sometimes the first thing that we see is a press release. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of sophistication to these vaccine studies that we really have to dissect. You know, we have to make sure that we're focusing on what is the definition of the illness that's being prevented in the vaccinations. And one of the most important things that is coming clear very, very much is that all of these vaccines are doing a really good job of preventing severe disease, meaning hospitalization and severe illness, like in the intensive care unit and death. That's really an important thing to assess. And and that's hard to dissect a little bit from the press release. It suggests that that all the vaccines are really doing a great job with severity and preventing severe illness and preventing death. So those are important. But again, some of the granularity and, and, you know, and actually the definitions and the various places that the vaccines are studied. The other thing that's happening is these studies are so large that, you know, many of the trials have large populations from the U.S. and have, you know, certainly from South Africa with with a number of of vaccines. And it's really important that we look at those things, but we also need to look at them in very careful peer-reviewed journals. So we're all waiting for that information to come out where we can actually study the definitions. We can actually look at the numbers of cases. We can look what we call a confidence interval around, um, around how precise that definition is. And so a lot of those things really need to be dissected. All of the companies are looking at the ability of the antibodies that are generated to vaccine to neutralize the virus or to do pseudo-neutralization studies and 
those efforts are being uh, undertaken. But again, we will need to see them as they appear in, in the in the journals where we can kind of understand what the definitions are. The bottom line is that this is an area of intense investigation, both in detecting the variants and then secondly, in looking at the impact of those variants on first uh, vaccine responses, on monoclonal antibodies, and also on diagnostic tests. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. Dr. Salvatore, turning back to you now, how could continuing mutations potentially affect vaccine-induced immunity over time? Just to echo how important it is to look at the data, uh, we see comments uh, on press releases or on papers that were not even peer-reviewed. And we do all those comparison between a vaccine and another one. You know, the problem when you also look at this neutralization, pseudo-neutralization assay, that the assay are not standardized. You know, this big lab does a test, another big lab does the test, but then one vaccine or the other vaccine, five people. But I think the idea of the speed wharf was also having a central lab to test those sera and the ability of neutralizing to respond to this uh, different variant. And I think those are going to be very, very important studies to uh, undertake because at that point, we will be able also to understand the effect of those mutation on monoclonal and vaccine responses and uh, also understand if um, those vaccines will need to be updated or, you know, like we do with other vaccine, because as I was saying before, maybe uh, the virus will find way out to evolve, or maybe because right now it looks like they respond well, but maybe not as well to the South African variant. You know, maybe the virus will evolve and we will have to do like we do for, for other viruses, like for flu, that varies a lot, and we need to um, update it, our uh, vaccine or maybe also our diagnostic. Peter Marks from the FDA actually came out and, and talked about that and said that they are will be working with the manufacturers to make sure that these variant strains are looked at and suggested again that it won't be necessary to do these, you know, thousands and thousands of people in efficacy studies, but we would be able more to just measure the antibody responses. And, and just like Dr. Salvatore said, this happens, you know, every year with influenza strains. And I don't think that we're going to have to change our vaccines every year for the coronavirus with SARS-CoV-2. But, you know, the flu strains do evolve and every year there are changes in the in some or all are part of the vaccines that are put in the four valent flu vaccines. And generally what happens every year is those those vaccines are made and then a few people are um, get the vaccines and we look at their immune responses. And if they look vigorous and adequate, then those are the vaccines that are, are replacing the old ones. So, so I think that they have a lot of experience with this. And I think it's really exciting that the FDA has already been working on this and have expressed a plan for the way to go forward in, in looking at this. So certainly this will be uh, something that'll be important, but, but it's also nice to know that there are already several steps ahead thinking how this could be done and also using the influenza experience. Yeah, and also the vaccine manufacturer themselves are already declaring, I mean, none of the vaccine was designed uh, with the idea of a spike as the mutation of the South Africa variant uh, position for 484, but now they are upgrading the vaccine and maybe they're doing uh, with the idea 
of uh, either doing a booster with a different variant or maybe uh, having what is called a bivalent vaccine. I mean, again, taking the flu as an example, we have quadrivalent, we have four different types of flu in a flu shot. You know, one possibility will be would be that maybe in the future we'll need to have uh, two different coronavirus strain in a shot. And this is important to keep this uh, immune pressure um, that will not allow the virus to replicate and to cause new variants. Thank you, doctors. Dr. Edwards, can you discuss the potential impact on the different COVID-19 treatment options? Will the current treatment options used widely right now still be effective on these variants? The area where it's it's probably going to be the most impactful um, is, is in the monoclonal antibody frame. As Dr. Salvatore said before, sometimes if you have just a, a single monoclonal antibody as the virus evolves, it may no longer neutralize because it's just you know uh, directed against one site. So it may mean that, um, that the monoclonal antibody therapies and prevention use will need to have more than a single monoclone, and certainly that's happened with a number of, of the agents. There, there are a couple monoclones. It may also be necessary that uh, monoclones be derived from individuals who are infected with these new variants so that we can, um, can, can actually have new monoclonals that are actually more specific for these variants. One of the other issues is, is um, I think, as you know, we have more vaccines and we have therapeutics for, uh, for treatment of, of, the, of the COVID-19 infections. We don't have any indication yet that any of these variants would respond differently to remdesivir, um, which is a as an antiviral, but certainly I'm sure that there are studies that are ongoing right now to look at that. And we don't have any evidence to say that these new variants will respond differently to you know, steroids or some of the other agents that we're going to be looking at. But those will be looked at both in the in the laboratory in terms of to see whether the, the viruses certainly with remdesivir are as sensitive, but also they'll be looked at by trying to understand what happens in the patients that are infected with these variants. And and so I think there already have been some data uh, published from the UK suggesting that in some of the reports, not all of them, that it suggests that the illness is more severe, meaning that it doesn't respond quite as well. So I think that those are things that are going to be looked at. But at this point, we don't have any evidence to say that any of the therapeutic agents are are less beneficial. And I think that that the issues regarding the monoclones will just need to be studied and assessed as time goes on. Thank you, Dr. Edwards. And to close, ladies, I'd like to pose this last question to both of you. What challenges do public health officials face as they work to control the spread of COVID and its variants? Dr. Salvatore. One of the challenges is uh, really bringing people to understand that uh, the key to stop the variants from circulating really rely on us, on the population. More than uh, worrying and about the chase of the variants, that is something that we, leave, we need to leave to the scientists uh, that will do the sequencing and we work in the laboratory to understand how they work and so on and so forth. So if really we want to stop the variant, 
we really have to do the social distancing and wear the mask and maybe a double mask if this UK variant is really more transmissible and uh, make sure that we get the vaccine when it's available and whatever vaccine is available. So we are following those numbers in the news, 64% versus 9% versus 70% versus 80%. I, my, my head is spinning. I think all the vaccine right now, uh, as Dr. Edwards was saying, are really effective to prevent this disease. And the only way that we can stop the variant is creating immunity in the population. So sometimes, you know, even a vaccine that is slightly more effective can be very, very useful because, for example, the distribution chain, for example, the Johnson vaccine that looks maybe is a little bit less effective than mRNA vaccine, but it can be stored for degree is cheap to produce. It can be transferred in many areas uh, of the world uh, where otherwise it would be very challenging to get the mRNA vaccine. So uh, every vaccine doesn't have to be just judged based on this effectiveness, but it's also to be judged in a wider context. Really the challenge is uh, convincing people to get vaccinated and to follow those rules and that this is really important to prevent the variants and stop coronavirus spread. Part of the problem that we have is that this virus is out of control. And the more people that it's infecting, um, the more people that it's circulating in, the more potential it has to change. So if we want to stop the changes, we want to stop the spread, just like Dr. Salvatore said, with the masks and with the distancing and with the vaccine. And certainly getting a vaccine that's 75% effective for moderate disease, but almost 100% effective for severe disease right now, or in an area where you only need one dose of vaccine and no problem with a minus 70 freezer, take it. You know, don't wait for a month to get another vaccine, you know, a, a vaccine in the arm is a lot more effective than a vaccine that's in a freezer. And the public really is in control. Get vaccinated. I'm going to get my second dose of vaccine uh, on Wednesday. So I clearly believe in vaccine and wear your masks and socially distance so that we can get the virus under control so that it will stop mutating. Once it stops being contagious and, and spreading, the mutations will stop as well. And, and today, for the first time, I, I read this message on New York Times that really, uh, I, I was really pleased to see it, that, uh, you know, even the journals are really trying to change the message instead of worrying about the one case of um, South African variant that was detected in the States worrying about what can we do to really stop the spread. And that, that all these results of having more vaccine are all good news. Uh, by the way, all those vaccines are much more effective of the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is effectiveness is about in between 40 and maybe 65% effective just to show that the numbers we are talking are just very high number of effectiveness. Great points from both of you. Any final thoughts, doctors? This has been an extraordinary time. The vaccines have been very well supported and the development and the, the scientific know-how and manpower that has been put into this has just been phenomenal. But we have got to get them into the people. We've got to, to make sure that all the people feel 
safe with the vaccines and, and feel that they're effective. And, and so that is something that is equally as important as our wonderful science. So we have to make sure that we're making sure our, our message is clear, that we're making sure that the messengers are appropriate and, and maybe making sure that, that the people listen to certain people that are credible to them and, and, and who are those messengers. Those are really important messages. And, and I think they are as equally important as the exciting science that we've been doing. And, and so I, I think we need to focus on that as well as the science. This was uh, an incredible uh, long year. We learned so much about this disease and we made so many progresses in treatment of the disease. But now I think uh, that we have those vaccines. We really need to make the next step. Uh, also to convey that some of those vaccines, I mean, I mean, the Novavax platform of vaccine is the same that is used for flu, for example. Again, those platforms were not created in one year. They were around for, they were studied for many years before. I am going to get my next shot on Thursday, my second one. So I also believe in vaccine. I think we all looked at the data. The data were convincing and we got the vaccine and so many, many people. And uh, we need really to put a special effort to educate and try to uh, answer the questions because, you know, uh, only uh, answering the question and making people feel comfortable will succeed in vaccinating and get over this pandemic. At this time, I'd like to thank Dr. Salvatore and Edwards for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's real-time learning network, covid19learningnetwork.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast. I'm Nadia Singh.